0: Welcome to Awaken
1: Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning. My name is Kathy Solomon, and I'm the Director of Community Life, and want to share a welcome as we all are entering this space today. We like to intentionally start our services, our gatherings. Um, just with taking a moment to say welcome and let's be present here to what the Lord has for us today. So I just wanna give an invitation um, and share some words as we start our time off together. The reading I have this morning is by Reverend Emily Swan and this is from a book, A Rhythm of Prayer, um, Meditations and Prayers. Um, that specifically women have contributed to the, this book. So hear this prayer for the church as we start our time off this morning. Spirit of Jesus, come with fire that refines, water that refreshes, wind that topples, breath that feel, fills. Kindle a global revival of empathy, justice, and active peacemaking. Birth a witness of love that is bigger and better than we inherited. Liberate us from privilege and oppression. Unshackle the gospel from nationalism, colonialism, white supremacy, and every other lens that shrouds the good news. Give us an abundance of grace for others and ourselves. Grant us compassion for those who suffer. Free us from the influence of money, power, and acclaim. Restore our reputation for caring for the poor, loving our neighbor, being ambassador of peace and stewards of the earth. Unlock the immense resources hoarded in the Western church and release them for your name's sake. Encourage us so that we do not grow cynical, isolated and burnt out. Fan our hopes, our joys and our connections. Allow us rest when we need rest. Enable us to see you in each person we encounter. Show us mercy in our humanity. Let us love more fully than we thought possible. Let us not be quick on the draw, ready to retaliate, escalate, and assassinate. Let our collective fervor for justice eclipse institutional concerns. Let us trust and follow the wisdom of those who have been marginalized. Let us preserve in creating safe places of worship to eat bread and drink wine together. Let us stand for love and with love, following the way of your Son as best we're able. Let us not fear an experiential spirituality Let us listen to the wondrous bodies you gave us. Let us hear your voice and tangibly feel you with us. Let us discern your guidance. Let us abide in and with you. Show us what you're doing so we can work together. Move where you will, when you will, in whatever way you will. Come, Holy Spirit, restore your church. Amen.
0: All right, all right. Let's get this party started. Uh, If you're looking for a seat in the back, there are some seats up here in the front. There are always seats up in the front, so some seats up here. Um, we're gonna get right to it friends we got a lot we got a lot to cover so uh, my name is Micah if we haven't met one of the pastors here at Awaken very glad you're here if you're new welcome to you um, special welcome to you we'd love to know that you were here in the seat pockets in front of you there are uh, cards or QR codes you can go online fill out a card let us know that you were here somebody from our team will reach out um, invite you to a beverage of your choice Those cards, along with any tithes or offerings that you may have brought, can go in the black boxes at each of the exits. Um, We're grateful for both of those. A couple of announcements. Uh, There are some events happening we want to let you know about. There's an Artist Mingle coming up August 4th, 7 p.m. Melody is in charge of those things, so if you want uh, any any more information, you can contact her or go online. Next week, if you arrive here at 10 a.m., you will be, well, there may be some others, but most of us will not be here. We are worshiping at Raspberry Island next Sunday morning. That's in the middle of the Mississippi River, downtown St. Paul. Uh, That is 11 a.m., 11 a.m. next week. So a little time change, a little location change, uh, and there are some baptisms happening that day. So if you're interested and you haven't heard and you want to be baptized, you can contact me. Uh, We can talk about that. I think right now we've got six or seven. I got you. Um, A recent addition we're excited about. So um, that's next week. And then last but not least... Um, Fall is right around the corner and uh, we're looking at sort of fall kickoff and um, back to school and the things that happen around that and kids community um, and so also going back to two gatherings in the fall. Usually this is a time when we're recruiting volunteers and this fall is no different. So if you are interested, you're new around here, um, our kids community is uh, a huge part of what we do and it just takes a lot of people uh, to to pull it off. So um, we're looking for 35 to 40 volunteers for kids community. The goal is that people only serve once a month, one hour a month or one hour a week or one hour at once a month. Um, It's very easy, uh, I promise you, um, to get that right and I got it wrong. Um, So, uh, Mandy at AwakenWest7th.com for at least a little, for at least one month more. All right, um, let's go. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, About 11 years ago, I was in the basement of Clada Coffee Shop, and uh, a young lady on our launch team that helped start this church came out to me and one of my coworkers at the time. And that, was, uh, that began a journey for me that is 11 years and running now that has included a lot of conversations with colleagues, with friends, uh, with queer brothers and sisters in Christ. It has included uh, my own study of the passages in scripture for the first time in my adult life, having made it all the way through Bible school and seminary and never had to really st- never study them. Um, it has included countless books and articles on this topic. And today I want to do something I've never done, which is to tell you some of the things I feel like I've learned. Um, I've always said that this is something I don't want to teach on because it's best done in dialogue, it's best done in conversation. But so many people have said, Micah, how do you take the Bible seriously and come to the conclusion that you've come to? And I just figured, you know, it's about time. So uh, this is Lost in Translation. Every summer we do this series and we take difficult, hard to understand, hard to interpret passages and try to understand them. So there are six passages in the Bible that deal with same-sex relationships over the next three weeks, this week and then on August 14th. I'm going to take two of them, 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans chapter 1, and teach them. Um, I'm going to teach them from my perspective and from what I think is the best reading of the text. Um, This is a massive conversation. It's huge. It's multi-layered. It has so many nuances and so many different uh, layers to it. And so, Um, I say that to say, I'm going to scratch the surface today. I'm going to deal with 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. There's a lot of things I'm not going to say. There's a lot of uh, parts of this conversation I'm not going to address. You may leave today thinking, why didn't you talk about that? And my response will likely be because 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 didn't ask me to. It's not because I don't think it's important, it's not because I don't think you should have those conversations. But I'm going to focus my time because I've only got 30 or so minutes, all right? This is also my get-out-of-jail-free card. If you're not happy with what I say today, I'm likely going to tell you stick around or there's probably more I could have said, which is always the case. Um, So 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, if you would, please stand for the reading of the word. My friend Larissa will read the text for us this morning and then we will dive right in. Or do you not know that wrongdoers
1: will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor
0: thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Pray with me. Good and gracious God, creator of all good things, giver of your spirit. Um, We pray, I pray that today uh, we would sense your presence, that we would know that we are not alone. Uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. I pray that anything that I say that's not consistent with who you are, Jesus, or, or who you've revealed yourself to be would be forgotten that it would just fall off the end of the stage and never take root in anyone's hearts. But I pray that if there are things that are said today that are of you, that are true and right and good, that they would take root deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, that they might even change the way we think about who you are, who we are, and how we are to live in this world. And I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of your spirit, which raised Jesus from the dead, and the church said together, Amen. Amen. Amen and Amen. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 11 is one of six passages in the Bible that are often known as the clobber verses because they are often used to or have been used to inflict harm, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, on queer people, on folks who don't identify as straight. Um, what I want to do today is let one big and broad question instruct and guide our time together. And that is, does 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 condemn monogamous, same-sex, same-gendered marriage, or gay sex in, in general? Uh, said differently, is gay sexual expression sin? Uh, I want to offer a few assumptions I begin with because I think it's important to know. Uh, number one... Sexual orientation is an important part of who we are and our experience as humans, but it is not uh, the primary identifier of the self. Um, said differently, the idea that j- sexual orientation is a means by which I determine myself or my identity as a self is a very new concept among like, sociology and people who study this kind of thing. So when we're talking about who am I, straight or gay is a new concept, it's a new category, and we live in a world right now, uh, raising kids in it, where like sexual orientation is like way up there on the who am I? And I just don't know that it's all that helpful, so I'm just gonna lay that card on the table. Sexual orientation is important, but in terms of like who am I as a self, as a person, this is a new conversation, and I think actually uh, there are some hesitations I would wanna have Using that as a a marker of who am I? What is my my, my identity as a self? Um, I don't believe that gay people choose to be gay any more than straight people choose to be straight. That's an assumption I begin with. Uh, I don't remember the day I chose to be straight, and I'm guessing those of you who identify as such don't either. So that's an assumption I begin with. Um, Number three... I do believe that the most life-giving and beneficial arena for the giving of oneself fully in sex is in committed covenant monogamous marriage relationships. Uh, Some people don't believe that or don't believe that that's the best arena or the only arena. That's an assumption I begin with and I think the scriptures, the sexual ethic in the scriptures actually invite us towards that. Though there are multiple examples of all kinds of sexual expression in Scripture, people say, like, well, what's the biblical definition of marriage? And I'm like, which one? Okay, because there's a lot of them in there, right? There's a lot of sexual expression that is in Scripture, but I think the sexual ethic it's inviting us to is one that is in committed, monogamous, covenant relationships, marriage relationships. Um, And then uh, maybe number five, you don't have to agree with me to belong here. You don't have to agree with me to belong at Awaken. So if you disagree with anything I've just said, your belonging is not threatened in this community. You stick around long enough, you stick around long enough, and there's a good chance you'll find that I disagree with you about something. <laughs> or you disagree with me about something. That does not jeopardize anyone's belonging in our community. I am not the Pope. I, I don't have some sort of authority where what I say goes. So these are my best attempts, okay, as a person being, trying to be faithful to Scripture and to what it means to follow Jesus. And I could be wrong. I could be wrong about a lot of things. So I hold these things with a, a, an incredible amount of humility and a posture of humility that says, you don't have to agree with me, and if you disagree with me, your belonging is not at stake. Okay? Um, one other caveat, and that is the following. The declared and affirmed majority position in the covenant denomination, which we are a part of currently, is as follows. Faithfulness in heterosexual marriage and celibacy in singleness. These, are the, these constitute the Christian standard. So our denomination's majority position is the traditional position on marriage. Uh, If you'd like more information about that or research papers or papers that have been written, I would be happy to help provide you with those. You can also find them at covchurch.org. My understanding of 1 Corinthians 6 may at times be at odds with the work that has been done by my colleagues and friends, some of them, and uh, I recognize that and I offer what I'm about to offer with, again, incredible humility. and um, I think that the work of the pastors who are ordained to word and sacrament is the work of theology. And so that's what I want to do this morning. And I do it with uh, as much humility as I do conviction, and I want to hold those two together. All right? But if you'd like more information on the covenant position, uh, that is available, and I can help you find that. Are you ready? Yep. Enough caveats. Here we go. Does 1 Corinthians 6 condemn monogamous same-sex marriage or even gay sex in general? I'm going to argue no, it does not. I will argue that it does condemn or challenge certain kinds of sexual relationships, but not, not gay sex in general. And I'm going to argue it based on two things. The first is context, no surprise to anyone. And the second is the actual words that are used in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Um, first in illustration you can find this uh, a version of this in a book called Unclobbered by Colby Martin imagine you and i are at a dinner party it's it's hot and heavy things are going well we are loose and go- we're, we're ready to rock and roll we're having good conversation and it's getting deep quickly and you say to me does um do you think gay sex is sin and i hesitate i i'm i'm formulating i'm i'm ready to give a nuanced answer to a very specific question, and you say, I mean, it's a simple question, yes or no, is gay sex sin? And I say to you, do you think premarital sex is sin? And you say, well, yeah, I do. I believe that, you know, with a few caveats, premarital sex is wrong. Okay, all right. Do you think, what about if you're married and straight and you have sex with someone other than your wife or your husband? And you're like, yeah, that's called adultery. Uh, That's not, you know, that's sin. That's wrong. Okay, Uh, what about if you're straight and you visit a strip club with women dancing if you're a male and vice versa if you're female? Is that? You're like, yeah, that's a sin. Okay, all right, fine. What about if you're married and straight and you pay a prostitute for sex? Like it's consensual? Both parties know what's happening here? Is that sin? And you're like, yes. That's sin, it's exploitative, it's consumptive, it's one way, it's not generative. You argue it from Scripture. I'm like, okay, fine. So what you're saying is, if I'm married, sex with my spouse in the, in, the, in the confines of marriage, consensual, is not a sin? And you're like, yes. And so then I say to you, is heterosexual sex a sin? And you say, well, that depends. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. I want to hang on to that. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Because I think that gets to where Paul is taking us or inviting us to explore in 1 Corinthians 6. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. So what is Paul doing? First, context. I've said it once, I've said it a 100 times, context, context, context. You cannot cherry pick a verse or a word out of the Bible and read it outside of its context and make it say what you want it to say. People get hurt when we do that. Slaves have gotten hurt, women have gotten hurt, children have gotten hurt, gay people have gotten hurt. When we do that, it's it's irresponsible, it's uninformed, and I just, I can't recommend highly enough that you don't do that, okay? So we have to understand what's the context. So what's the context of 1 Corinthians 6? Corinth, let's start there. Corinth is a city, it's in ancient Greece, which was taken over by Rome in 146, and then made a Roman colony in 44 by Augustus. That name should ring a bell, it's in the Gospel of Luke. Corinth is steeped in Greco-Roman culture. So what Greece thought about sex and masculinity is at play for anyone who lives in Corinth. What Rome thought about sex and masculinity and femininity and what it means to be human and express yourself in sex is at play in Corinth because it's a Greco-Roman city. The city of Corinth is on an isthmus. It was a bustling Roman city by the time Paul was writing to the Corinthian church that lived there. It was known for its temples uh, uh, pagan temples, and many of them with uh, sex slaves and prostitutes and sexual, like, religious experiences. Like, if you wanted to find it, you could find it in Corinth. It's kind of like Las Vegas. Like, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, okay? That's the city we're talking about. So there's a lot of things that Paul, the Jewish convert to Christianity, and the Christians in Corinth would have probably hesitated about or had some things to say about, okay? Um More than that, Paul's in a conversation in chapter 6 with the Corinthians who have grievances with one another. They're fighting. They disagree with each other. And instead of dealing with those grievances within the community of believers, they're actually going outside of the church and hiring or bringing in lawyers or folks who can adjudicate and judge these cases who aren't even part of the church. And Paul's like, why would you do that? You've been given the wisdom of the divine, the Sophia, the spirit, and that's in you, in the church. So why would you take these grievances outside of the church to have somebody who doesn't even have the spirit that you have to judge your disagreements? He says in in, uh, uh, a few verses earlier, If any one of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or, do you not know the Lord's people will judge the world? He's like, you have a posture and a position, something that's been given to you that would give you everything you need to judge, everything you would need to figure this out. Are you not competent to judge these trivial cases? That's a rhetorical question. His answer is, of course you are. Then he goes on to say, the fact that you have these disagreements is already problem enough, but then that you, 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 you're taking them outside of the church and you're harming one another. You're taking advantage of one another. You are... Uh, you're cheating and wronging each other. And these kinds of people don't inherit the kingdom. And then we get our list, which you heard Larissa read. That's where we are in the story, all right? So let's look at the words Paul actually uses in that list that we read. And based on what translation you might have had in your hands or you might be reading, they will vary, okay? That's choices that translators make. Pays a, actually, they're going to pay dividends today. So here's the list. Uh, On the left is the the English word, the next is the Greek word, and then it's sort of the the definition for it. Okay, so let's go down. Fornicators, that's the Greek word pornos. You should know what we get from that, right? Pornography. Prostitutes, one's body, sex outside of marriage. Uh, Idolaters, these are people who worship false gods. Adulterers, it's pretty one-to-one on that one. Not a lot of variance in terms of how to interpret it. It's somebody who commits adultery. Our our words are the word one and two. I'm going to take them out for now. Then he keeps going. Thieves, that's where we get kleptomaniacs, or klepto. Embezzlers, pilferers, that's a great word. Uh, Coveters, not covenanters, very different, very different. Coveters, greedy, desiring more than what you need. Drunkards, intoxicated, overindulgent, unable to say no. Lack of self-control, revilers. One who speaks abusively and contemptuously. And then extortioners, rapacious. I'll give you $5 if you use that word in a sentence this week and prove it to me. That's actually true. I once got paid $20 to use a word in a sermon here with you all that someone didn't think I could get in. So I'll be good to it. Rapacious, ravenous, or a robber. Now here's an all play question. This is when I ask you to, uh, to, oh, I can't see some of you. So we're going to turn on a light. There we go. Hey, there we are. You're here. I'll uh, play question. As you look at this list of words, like, what are some things you notice? Or what are some ways you would describe these kinds of people? Just shout them out. What are some things you notice about this list that Paul gives us? Mean. Say it again. Mean. mean. Selfish. Selfish. Taking, advantage. Taking advantage. Thank you. Overly indulgent. Say it again. Mystic. Self-centered. Universal. Universal. Any others? Lost. Lost. Something that hurts others? Yeah. So... Based on the context and what comes before this list, and the fact that Paul even says people are cheating on each other, they're taking advantage of each other, I think we could say this about the list. These are people who exploit. These are people who take advantage of. These are people who lack self-control, who use others for their own gain, who take what is not theirs, who are generally dishonorable. Now if you add our two words in there, which we're about to do, and you're going to be consistent with the tone and tenor of Paul's argument, then it would follow that these people, whatever these two words are, are those kinds of people, right? These are not like upstanding people filled with integrity, right? Are you tracking who happen to be gay? That's just is important, I think we can go as far as to say Paul does not condone this kind of behavior, nor expect it from kingdom people. But it does not condemn gay marriage, and it does not condemn gay sex in general. It condemns a certain kind of relationship, and in the two words we get, a certain kind of sexual relationship. Paul condemns and disagrees with these kinds of same-gendered relationships, which we're about to uncover here, and I'm going to invite you to agree with Paul. That you should also disagree with these kinds of sexual relationships and these kinds of people. That This is not the kingdom. This is not the way of Jesus. Remember where we started. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. What Paul's is getting at is a certain kind of relationship, a certain kind of person. Now, let's go to the actual words that Paul uses. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but my dear uh, girlfriend at the time, now wife, made a cherry pie for me once. My grandmother was famous for her cherry pies, and I love cherry pie. And so Laura, being the kind, thoughtful person that she was, got Grandma Jeannie's recipe and decided she was going to make a cherry pie. Now, when you make a cherry pie and you go to the grocery store, you'll notice you have options, because when you go to the cherry aisle, you'll see tart, red cherries, and then you'll also see sweet cherries. And you may think, well, who cares? They're both cherries, right? But when you add two cups of sugar to the cherries in the pie, and then you bake it, tart red is what you really need. And if you pick inadvertently sweet cherries and then add two cups of sugar to the already sweet cherries, what you get is like Robitussin. <laughs> right? It's like nearly, <laughs> it's, it's inedible. And... and, and <laughs> One of my favorite moments of my wife is like, I took one bite and I, I, can't, I can't fake it. I've been, never been a good liar and I couldn't fake it. And she just took the whole pie and just slammed the whole thing right down the garbage disposal. It was like, that's the last time I make you a cherry pie. It turns out one word matters, tart or sweet. And similarly with Paul, one word matters. And the word that we see or the words that we see here they make all the difference. The two words that are at issue that I took out in the previous list are malachos and arsenecoites. Um, the, the second of, of that, arsenecoites, is um, it gets translated a whole bunch of different ways. Sometimes it gets mashed into one, and they put both words and they make it one. and. Uh, and some try to honor the fact that there are two words. And here are just like an example of the plethora of, ex- of, of words used to translate these two words, all right? Homosexuals, men who have sex with men, male prostitutes, very different. Men who practice homosexuality, men who submit to or perform homosexual acts, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. That's the King James. Sodomites, perverts, sexual molesters, boy prostitutes, Anyone guilty of an unnatural crime. These are all words in Bibles for these two Greek words. That's a pretty big range, yeah? So depending on what Bible you're reading and who the translators were and the choices they made determines your plain reading of the text. Let's take each word, arsenikoites. It comes from two Greek words, arsen and koite, um, and the problem here is that it's not a Greek word. Paul takes two words and puts them together and never uses it again in the Bible except in 1 Timothy when a similar list shows up and Arsenechoides is there. Those are the only two places, same, same context, that it's used in the whole Bible. Now the problem with this is when you're going to identify the actual meaning of a word in the Bible... The best way to do that is to find all the places that it's used and understand the contexts in which they were used, and then you can determine what it means. It's never used anywhere else in the Bible, and it's really hard to find in extra-biblical text, like outside of the Bible. It does, and it helps to inform, but here's a quote from a prof at Yale. Dale Martin, he says, The only reliable way to define a word is to analyze its use in as many different contexts as possible. No one should be allowed to get away with claiming, Of course the term means to men who have sex with men. You can't, like, have intellectual integrity and say that. That's what he's saying. It's debatable, highly debatable, what this word actually means. He goes on to argue, to put arsenicoites together, arson which means men, and coites which means to bed, or a marriage bed, or chamber, uh, those are the ways it's translated when it shows up, coiti, in the King James elsewhere. To put those two words together, and to assume it means men who bed other men, is like taking the word understand, and thinking it means something to do with being under, or standing. It doesn't so to make that move it just lexically uh, from a word perspective it doesn't make any sense now he would argue if you bring in what Paul's doing here and elsewhere in uh, outside of the Bible Martin argues this word likely means and I say likely and he says likely some kind of economic exploitation, probably by sexual means. Rape, sex by economic coercion, prostitution, pimping, or something of the sort. Where it shows up again in First Timothy, two other authors, Alice Ogden-Bellis and Terry Halford, write this. They say, the fact that our sinechoity is followed in First Timothy by slave traders, a group who exploit others, adds weight to Martin's evidence for a as sexual exploiters of some sort, since the vices in the list in 1 Timothy are often grouped according to their similarity. So in a list like exists in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, it's unlikely that you would find a word that's going in this direction and then a word going in that direction, grouped together right you put like words together in these kinds of lists so what they've argued is Martin's argument actually holds weight because in first Timothy arsenicoides is followed by slave traders people who exploit other humans for their own personal gain following everyone tracking okay um, part of the struggle with this word is that any argument you make is from secondary if not tertiary evidence or an argument from silence. That's the best you can do with our Senecoides. Like, line up all the scholars, and you'd get about that many opinions. There's some general consensus that has to do with same-sex relationships and exploitative same-sex relationships. So that's our Senecoides. Malacos is a little simpler. It means soft or effeminate. Uh, it has a lot of usage in the scriptures. And it has massive implications in Greco and Roman culture. Um, In Roman culture, in particular, it was treated as a moral failing. It was treated as uh, looked down upon. It had, you could lose your your, like place in society if you were a man and you were called Malachos. To be soft or effeminate, malakos, meant you were either controlled by your lust for sex, which was not considered masculine, you had to have some self-control to be a man, or you played the passive or submissive or receptive role in sex. That's to be malakos, to be soft or effeminate. Both of these, whether you were uncontrolled in passion for lust and sex, or you played the submissive or passive role in sex, Both of them were detestable and debasing, mostly based on the cultural understanding of masculinity in Roman culture. Stay tuned for Romans 1. That's going to be huge. So, in a world that was dominated by and steeped in patriarchy and of certain value of masculine form, you could imagine why being called malakos, soft effeminate, might be problematic, not something you'd like to be called. Here's a quote from a book called Roman Homosexuality, which is a little bit of an irony. It's by Craig Williams. Stick with me on this one. It gets to what I'm talking about with Malakos and effeminate. He says, from a cross-cultural perspective, there is much about Roman masculinity that is familiar, such as the hierarchical gendering of penetrative acts in such a way as to identify the penetrative or insertive role as masculine and superordinate, superior. The receptive role as feminine and subordinate. In the Roman tradition, this dichotomy between these two expresses itself as a tendency to associate the receptive role with women, boys and slaves and to construe adult men who desire uh, to be penetrated as effeminate anomalies, liable to ridicule, or worse yet, welcome anomalies, it would seem, since fully gendered men might be perfectly content to express the desire for and enact their phallic masculinity with the very men they ridicule as effeminate." That's a lot. What has just been said? (laughs) To be masculine is to be dominant, uh, aggressive, um, active, penetrative in sex, which is desirable and honored. To be feminine is to be passive, submissive, penetrated, which is denigrated and less honorable. So to be a man who is malakos is to play the part of a woman in sex, which is denigrated, debasing, why? Because you're a man, masculine, and therefore should live up to and into all that is required and desired of masculinity. And so to not is debasing, degrading, undesirable, malachos. You would be called effeminate, soft. So in short, <laughs> arsenicoides and Our Arsenicoides is exploitive, sexually uh, coercive, same-gendered sex. Malachos is effeminate, soft, and men playing the role of women in sex as submissive, penetrated receivers. That's about as close to what did Paul mean when he uses those words. Back to where we began. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Does 1 Corinthians 6 condemn gay marriage or and gay sex in general? No it doesn't I think that's a pretty strong argument that's not what Paul's addressing in this verse what Paul's addressing is certain kinds of relationships that are unfit for or uncharacteristic of kingdom people which are exploitative which are consumptive which are not generative where you take advantage of someone else for the sake of yourself. Where you use your power or position or privilege to dominate someone else. Whether they be in finance or sex. Paul's like, don't do it. And I would argue. I would submit to you. Don't do it. Is gay sex in? It depends. In some cases, yes. In some cases, maybe no. I would argue no. No. But we'll keep going in our series. What Paul is addressing here is not that question. Is gay marriage off the table and is gay sex always sin? It's not what Paul's doing. So to try to make Paul say that is, is a misread of the text. It's a leap that, that you might make, some people do make, and I would argue is on bad grounds, like hermeneutically. You can't do it. It's out of context. Let me end. Let's everybody take a drink, okay? Just settle in here. I want to come up for air a little bit. We've been in the weeds because it matters on this text that you get in the weeds. If you don't, hang with me. So we've been down here nitty-gritty looking at Greek words and trying to figure out what does this mean and what does that mean. And let's just like zoom out for a little bit and remember, this is not black and white words on a page. We're talking about people. We're talking about family members. We're talking about people you might be sitting next to. We're talking about children of the living God. We're talking about people who follow Jesus and want to love God. Right? This matters. So we're all we're down here, and it may seem like minutia, and we could get lost. You know which way is up. Like, just come up for air and remember. This really does matter. It has huge implications. And and and, I want to close with this story uh, because I think it helps illustrate. You all have heard me say or chide or even mock at times, people who say, "Well, it's the plain reading of the text," right? Maybe you've heard Christians or religious people say this. It's clear. It's right there. It says homosexual. How can you come to any other conclusion than that? It's so clear. It's the plain reading of the text. Did you know that the word homosexual doesn't show up in a Bible until 1946? In 1946, the Revised Standard Version, the committee that wrote, translated what became the revised standard version lots of people on these committees they met and they did their work and they decided that 1 corinthians six nine through eleven those words malakos and, and arsenikoitish were translated homosexual and so in their first version they wrote homosexual now uh, a student actually a research assistant and student Challenged this reading of of, or this translation of the text and went to the committee and argued the case and the committee actually in the end agreed and they committed to changing the initial the original RSV version from homosexual to something else The problem was that the person the the, the chair of the committee who's actually known as the father of modern Sunday school (laughs) Evidently he was by all accounts a wonderful human uh, he made, like, as a translation committee, they made an agreement that they wouldn't change anything for 10 years. Well, guess what happened in 10 years? The NASV, the NIV, and the New Living Translation all used the RSV to translate their Bibles. And they all used the word, or a version of the word, homosexual for 1 Corinthians 6.10. Uh, put this uh, the next one up on the screen for me, if you would. Um, next one, that one. So the first top, RSV, Malacost and Arsenechoides. First version, in 1946, homosexual. Second version, Malacost and Arsenechoides, was changed to male prostitutes and sodomites. Hello? We're talking about two very different kinds of people here. And then the most updated version of the RSV says, uh, do, not, you know, do you not know wrongdoers will inherit the kingdom of God, don't be deceived, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, and men who engage in illicit sex is the best, most faithful way to translate malachos and our Senecoides. Why does this matter? Well, it matters a whole lot for gay people, right? Who read a Bible depending on which one they've picked up, or which which one you've picked up, could say any number of things. So when we say, I believe in the Bible, and it's a plain reading from Scripture, be really, really careful with when you say that, and why you say that, and who you say that to, if you've not done some work on what you've actually read. I mean, I don't mean to make this a you know, job security p- platform, but it matters that people have studied this and can help understand what's in it. On one level, it's really technical and really complicated, and some would say, like, why bother? How can I get it right? Which I get that. And on another level, it is has been and continues to be a dynamic, living, divine, in, divinely inspired, revelatory word of God for the people who read it. That just continually happens. And so God reveals God's self to it, to and through the scriptures. So it's both of these things, right? Reading scripture in community is really important because if you read a passage of scripture with a gay person and you're not gay and you're like, well, it's a clear reading of the text. And they're like, well, hold on a second. I'm not so sure about that. Who you read the Bible with matters because you can say all kinds of things if certain people aren't in the room. The folks in, post, uh, in, in South Africa, after uh, there was war, and uh, the, the um, well, it was the English and the, uh, was it the Dutch? Who were fighting over South Africa? Whoever the winners were, they were translating the Bible, and the, the, the losers weren't in the room, and the slaves and people of color weren't in the room, and so they said, well, clearly this is what it means, that this is manifest destiny. This is like our destiny, and God's given us this land Well, if the people who were in the room were conquered or the people in the room who they were enslaved were were, were there, that interpretation may may go challenged. Do you know what I'm saying? So when we read the Bible, it's important to do it in community and with people who disagree with you and who see the world differently than you. That's part of why the covenant's been so beautiful and why I keep fighting to stay in it, because that's why it matters. Let me wrap this up. A guy named Dan Koch... ...hosts a podcast called You Have Permission... ...and in one of his episodes where he talks about this topic... ...he begins and says, he reminds us that for 1800 years... ...Christians have been uniformly supportive of slavery... ...and it wasn't until people began wrestling with the Bible and what it said... ...and the Spirit of God was at work in opening the eyes of people reading the Bible... And massive upheaval, uh, upheaval and struggle. And eventually, Christians largely determined that it was inconsistent with Jesus to enslave others. Even though there was evidence for it in scripture. For 1,800 years. That's a long time. For 1,950 years, the church uniformly prohibited roles, women's roles in the church. And it wasn't until by the work of the Spirit and the, the, the experience of lived reality and called and gifted women in our midst, that people began thinking, maybe this isn't the way to read Scripture. Well, uh, and, and maybe not the place that Jesus and the Spirit is leading us. And it, it was 1900, 1,950 years of uniform doctrine and belief in the church on women's roles in ministry and in the church. And then, even though there was evidence for limited roles in Scripture... I would argue, and many others would argue, and I'm guessing a lot of you would argue, for an egalitarian role of women and men in church, in in gender. I believe, and so does this guy and many others, that we are in the beginning phases of a season like that, where for 2,000 years of Christian history, there's been a uniform position on same-sex relationships, and it appears, based on the lived lives of queer people in our midst, the fruit of God's spirit evidenced in their lives, and a reading of the text that said that, that that's, oh, maybe like we're now able to see what we haven't seen before, and it's, it appears that the spirit of God is moving and leading. And it's not like we haven't been here before, friends. This is the whole book of Acts. I mean, think about it. Peter, Cornelius... I can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. It's in the Bible, Peter says. And what does the Spirit say? Peter, kill and eat. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. We have a massive shift from what was the Bible scripture for a Jewish Torah-believing person to a very new understanding of what it means to follow God. Do you see? And it just keeps happening in the book of Acts. Do you know who the first convert, I want to stand on this thing right now, Do you know who the first convert is in the new story of God in the New Testament? The Ethiopian eunuch, a sexual minority of color. The whole book of Acts is the Spirit of God leading, inviting, asking the apostles to follow, and their their heads are spinning. When they get together in Jerusalem at the council in Acts 15, their best answer, the best version, the smartest Jewish scholars in in religion, the best thing they could come up with was, well, it seemed good to the spirit and us (laughs) to not circumcise the Gentiles, right? (laughs) Previous to that moment, what is law? What's Torah? What's the religious rule? All men are circumcised. Well, do I have to be circumcised to follow this Jesus? Well, this, And the Jews are like, absolutely you do. I did. And the Gentiles are like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Let's think about And what does the Spirit say? Well, it seemed good to the Spirit in us not to place this burden on them. Why? Why? What's the, what, what's the, why did they make that decision? Because they saw the fruit of God's Spirit in the lives of the Gentile uncircumcised believers. We have all the tools necessary, all the tools in the toolbox. We've done it before. Wait till I get to Romans 1. (laughs) We've done it before. And I'm telling you, does 1 Corinthians, I'm off track, does 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11 condemn gay marriage? No, it does not. Does 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11 condemn gay sex, gay sexual expression in general? No, it does not. I don't think you can make that argument. So, to the people who follow Jesus, or who maybe want to follow Jesus, or who are thinking about following Jesus, or were just curious about what this nutcase was gonna say today, I would say to you this. I really do believe that Jesus and the gospel is good news for everybody. And if it's not good news for everybody, it's not good news for anybody. If it's only good news for the powerful, and the elite, and the rich, and in our case, the white upper class, it's not good news for anybody. That's Rome. That's not the kingdom of God. So, to those of you who have sat in rooms like this, and felt denigrated, unseen, harmed, like on behalf of people like me who have stood in this position uh, to the degree that I can take any responsibility for that and proverbially say we and put myself in that category, I'm sorry. I hope that you might give Jesus another try, that you might take seriously who this person is and the call that he offers you to live a life that's faithful to his way of being human in the world. To us as a community of believers, um, we have some, some uh, agreements that we make. You don't have to agree with me. You may think I'm reading the text wrong on this, and that's fine. At Awaken, we agree to treating one another in a particular way, one that's marked by love and dignity and respect for the other, even when you disagree with them. And we've said, like, to be here... Uh, if, if you hold a traditional position on scripture, uh, on same-sex relationships based on scripture, that's okay. What you can't do is demand gay people a, a ceiling. You can't demand that there's a ceiling for folks who, who they can't be members or they can't serve. No, you can like wrestle with the text and when you've earned the right to ask questions of our queer brothers and sisters here, maybe they'll let you in that space. Okay, but you can be on a journey here. I think one of the things i'm sorry i'm going long but i got this is so important one of the things that's important about this church is to carve out and protect and keep the space where folks there's either there's one or two options either you're you're all in you're all you're inclusive you're affirming and and it's like it doesn't even matter what the bible says we're just affirming and there's a lot of places out there like that or we're not affirming and because the bible says so but if you're somewhere in the middle and you're like, I think that this matters and I want to take it seriously and I want to read it with integrity and thoughtfulness, where do you go? How does anyone change their mind on this? And maybe you will. I hope that you will. But maybe you won't. Where do you go? So, for as, at least for this season, like that's the space at Awaken that I'm trying and we're trying to protect. Where you can take the Bible seriously and you can ask honest questions about the text and look at is it, like, is that really what Paul meant? And you can be on process. You can be like, you can have a, a, a journey filled with integrity so long as you treat your brother and sister who may disagree with you with kindness, gentleness, and respect. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, saddle up, partner. Look, Harry Moore hitchhikers. Pick them up! Uh, if it's not, like, honest to God, blessings. Like, blessings. We bless you. I bless you. But if it is, then let's, let's do the work. Let's figure out what does it mean to be faithful to Jesus in this time, in this era, and then let's live it out. And, and we'll see you next week at Raspberry Island, where we're going to baptize some people. My gosh, Eucharist this week, baptism next week, it's all the sacraments in two weeks, people. All right, uh, and then Romans 1 on August the 14th. Let me pray, uh, and we'll invite Melody and the band, who may be sleeping somewhere in the back, by now. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Let me offer a word of prayer. God, this morning, um, we gather as your church, hoping, trusting, trusting, that you are good on your word, which says that you're alive and you're active and that that this word is alive and active and that you want to reveal yourself to us through it. And so through these songs and this table that we come to this morning and uh, this word that we have read and the word that you are uh, resurrected and alive in the world, speak to us, lead us, I pray, in this moment. So the way this will work as we close, uh, if you got somewhere to go, totally get it. But um, we're going to take communion together, if you would like. On my right and left, there's elements for communion. Uh, there's hand sanitizer. Grab a little bit of that. There's bread. We'd invite you to take the bread and dip it in the cup. There's red wine and white grape juice. And as you come forward, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you. All of you. Every single one of you. The body of Christ has been broken for you. The blood of Christ has been shed for you. Every single one of you. So come and eat it. Take it in. And then live it out in the world <clears throat> as you found it, which is good and life-giving. Uh, we would invite you to come down the side aisles, grab the elements, make your way back through the center aisle. Uh, we're going to sing. You're welcome to do that. Prayer space is open. Um, thanks for... Thanks for being the kind of church that you are. We did it. Uh, Tiger Woods, anybody know that name? He's a golfer. He says, uh, he always said, if you ever get to the first tee and you like, you don't have butterflies in your stomach, like just hang it up. Like you're done playing competitively. And I've, I've taken that in terms of, like, if I ever get up here and I don't have a little bit of anxiety, I'm not a little nervous, and I don't have a few butterflies in my stomach, like, I'm not, I don't take it seriously enough. And uh, I was very, very nervous today. So I'll be good for next week at least, all right? Um, not much more to say other than go with this blessing. Know that it's been spoken over the people of God for thousands of years, and I speak it over you today. Uh, with joy and conviction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance to you and give you peace in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen, see you on the island next week 11 o'clock you can Find us online at wwwAcommmunity.com. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter at Community.
1: See you next time.